Huyemora Dumela Saubona Heita, and my name is Lesejo, and I have the privilege of serving the body of Christ through Fellowship City. And this particular morning, the privilege of opening God's word for us as we continue in our series, Pray It Like Jesus. Through the series, or the intention of the series is for us to use the Psalms much the same as Jesus used them. Um, as, as a Jewish man, Jesus prayed at least three times a day, and he used the Psalms. Jesus used the Psalms as a language to express his thoughts and his feelings. And that is what we're doing when we journey through the Psalms in this series. So Reino started our series looking in Psalm 3. He looked at praying through our fears. He looked back at the life of David who wrote the Psalms. We were able to see that David was afraid when many of his foes, including his son Absalom, were trying to kill him. This was not only an attack of the physical, but also an attack on his identity. That is why he was afraid. Through this fear, David prays. And it's a very real fear. But David focuses on God. We see that David prays through the fear and gives it all to God. Last week, Shiami, in his debut, taught us how to pray through our pain. He looked at Psalm 22 and reminded us who we should turn to and whose we are. We are God's children. If we have put our faith and trust in him, we should turn to him. We see the same language in both Psalms expressed, even in the way that the Psalm ends, that David in both Psalms turns back his focus to God. This morning, we're gonna be looking at Psalm 32 which Tandiwe read for us a, a few moments earlier. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Let me ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us in this song. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for just another opportunity for us to gather um, together as your people, to hear from you through your word. I pray that this morning that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you, that you would remove any distractions um, that are around us, you would help us to focus on you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would tug at our heartstrings, that you would um, continue to change our hearts, make us more and more like Christ this morning. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is the geography of our morning. Um, it's always good so that we all understand where we're going, where we're headed, and then we can get there together. But our geography for our time this morning is we are going to understand the context of Psalm 32. I think it's always important to understand the context of the passage in which we are reading, the passage in which we're trying to dig into. But as we do that, I want you, I want you to think of skydiving. So think of skydiving uh, as a activity we're gonna use to break into the different levels of the Psalm. So we're going to use the first level as we have jumped out the plane. So think of already having jumped out the plane. Um, we do have our parachute on. Just for those that uh, minds run a little bit further on, we do have our parachute on. We've jumped out the plane. 
we are seeing a small picture of the ground and this is a big picture at 10,000 feet. So that's where we are now, wider context of the psalm. After that, we're going to be at 7,000 feet. We're going to be digging a little bit deeper into the psalm. We're going to be doing line by line and theme by theme exposition of the text. We're going to unpack this, this text together when we're somewhere around 7,500 feet. And at this point, this is where I can imagine all the Bible nerds screaming uh, with excitement as we go below 7,000 feet. Uh, once, we've, once we've gone past 7,000 feet, uh, once we approach 5,000 feet, we're going to be understanding confession a little bit more. At this point, we will have a greater picture of ourselves, of our nature, and a greater understanding of God. And at 1,500 feet, as we approach landing, our parachute open now, we will see confession as the key to life and the key to joy. We will see and understand more about God. And as we land, we'll understand what does that mean then? We've understood more about God, more about ourselves. We've understood confession is the key to life and joy. What does that mean? So those are the points. We're going to look at the wider context. We're going to understand or dig deeper into that wider context. We're going to understand confession a little bit more. And then we're going to understand confession as the key to life and joy. So that's where we are now. We've jumped out the plane. We're 10,000 feet. The wind at our faces. Let's understand the wider context of Psalm 32. So David wrote Psalm 32. There are 150 Psalms in the Old Testament, and David wrote a large number of them, 73 of them to be exact. Uh, the book of the Psalms is broken into five other books by the Bible translators. So the whole Psalms is broken up into five books by the Bible translators. And Psalm 32 fits into that first book. There is Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, which are, not, which are thought to not be part of book 1 because Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 act more as a prelude to what's going to come next in Psalm 32. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are not part of book 1, but a prelude to the whole of the Psalms. And Psalm 1 and 2 are anonymously written, so they're not written by, by David, they're not written by the other people who've written uh, parts of the Psalms. So what are Psalm 1 and 2 as a prelude say? Psalm 1 speaks about how blessed is the individual who meditates on the Torah. Torah here meaning teaching. So how blessed is the individual who meditates on the teaching and prayerfully reads it day and night and then obeys it. So prayerfully reads it day and night and then obeys it. So that's, that's the blessing. So Psalm 2 is a poetic reflection on Psalm Samuel 7. Psalm 2 is a poetic reflection on Psalm 7 about the Messiah coming to defeat evil. Psalm 2 infers that all who take refuge in the Messiah, in Jesus, will be blessed. That's Psalm 2. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 point to the Psalms as a prayer book of God's people as they strive to be faithful to God's teaching and waiting for the return of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So that's a wider context. So Jesus used the Psalms much like this. He prayed at least three times a day and he used the Psalms. 
when we look at the whole of the Psalms, there are two overarching themes. So each Psalm might fit into one or maybe both of these themes. So you've got either a Psalm of lament or a Psalm of praise. This again shows that we can lament. The Psalms show us again that we can lament. We can bring our raw emotion to God and God can take it. He is God. We saw that raw emotion in Psalm 3 and Psalm 22, which are both part of lament. Psalm 3 was preached by Reino and Psalm 22 by Shiami, as I mentioned earlier. And if you missed these, you can find these on YouTube. So that's the lament or complaint theme of Psalms. Then there's also the thanksgiving and praise Psalms. So Psalm 100, for instance, is a song of thanksgiving. And Psalm 8 is a song of praise. How majestic is your name in all the earth? That's Psalm 8. So both of these are examples of themes of thanksgiving and praise. So there's two overarching themes, lament or complaint and thanksgiving and praise that we see throughout the Psalms. So Psalm 32, as you would have seen when Taliwa was reading it to us, it starts with words, a mascal. The Hebrew word mascal can be found in the book of Amos. And it basically says, or basically translated by Bible scholars as being prudent or having insight. So Psalm 32 contains wisdom because it is a mascal, but it is more of a thanksgiving psalm. And we will see that. So some translations, as uh, Tandy was reading us for us, will start with a heading that says the joy of forgiveness. So along with Psalm 51 and Psalm, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, these are both seen as confession giants. So we heard a little bit. Um, so as we as we go in to start to dig in a little bit deeper into the psalm, we heard a little bit about the beginning of David's story when Reino preached Psalm 3 for us. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are seen as responses from David about the sin in his life related to, to Bathsheba, which can be found or read in 2 Samuel 11. So the story about David and Bathsheba as a highlight is a story about conscious and deliberate sin. So the, the background where we are now or how we should posture ourselves as we look at the psalm is that it, the psalm happened as a response to David who was, uh, during the time of war, he decided to stay back, stay home and relax. Then he wakes up from a nap in the palace and he looks out. And when he looks out, he sees a woman bathing. And this woman was found to be Bathsheba who is the wife of Uriah. So David sleeps with her and David sends her home, later only to find out that she is pregnant. Then David wines and dines Uriah. So he calls him back from war, wines and dines him, and wants to move him towards having pleasure with her that evening. But that doesn't go his way because Uriah with his fellow brothers in arms in war, decides not to enjoy such pleasure, but rather wants to go back into the battlefield with his brothers. So then this causes David to plan and execute killing Uriah in war to cover his sin. David then marries Bathsheba 
and lives in unrepentant sin until the prophet Nathan confronts him and only then he repents. So that's the step deeper in our, in our understanding of this context. Um, so David, as a prayer, this is David as a prayer of confession and he includes great wisdom for us and also incredible joy if the wisdom becomes knowledge if the wisdom becomes knowledge to the point where we are joyful because of the forgiveness that comes from God. So as we've broken past 7,000 feet, um, let's start to dig in a little bit deeper into this psalm. Verses one and two, how joyful is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. The first two verses speak about being forgiven. So the main point is that to be forgiven brings about joy or a blessed state of being. So a person who has a deep understanding of their sinful condition or character flaws and knows that they need forgiveness and they have forgiveness are joyful and blessed. So let's take a short detour here and maybe understand the human condition a bit better. We need to have a deep understanding of our sinful condition and our character flaws. This psalm is for everyone because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 teaches us. In Genesis, we see Adam and Eve who are in the Garden of Eden after God has created the world. God gives them one instruction to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good or evil. Then this becomes about humans wanting to decide what is good or evil. Humans wanting to draw the lines for themselves instead of leaving that to God. Humans choosing to be God over our own lives. Just after eating their fruit, they realize that they are naked that they're not covered. Being covered here is symbolism of wanting to stop people from seeing what should not be seen because we are ashamed or feel guilty. So don't think only of the physical, think also the mental. If what was in the minds, or if what was on our minds and thoughts last night, this morning, was on the front page of the newspaper, how would we feel? Our worst nightmare would be our browser history being available for the world or every thought we have to be written on, the, on our foreheads or our emotions reflected on our person by color. If we draw our own moral line, then thinking ill of your brother or sister or spouse is not murder, but God says it is. If we draw our own moral line, then coveting what your neighbor has is not theft or lust is not idolatry. As God says it, we cannot draw our own moral line. If we don't see why, we will see so shortly. The main point of verses one and two is that to be forgiven our sins, failings and transgressions brings about joy or a blessed state of being. How blessed or joyful it is to have our sins forgiven, knowing the depth of our hearts and minds, knowing the use of our hands and feet. How blessed or joyful it is to live without having to hide or cover our sins from God. Whether you are aware that you have sinned and wronged God, 
and feel guilty about it, or whether you know that you have things that you're covered, then the language of the Psalms, and in particular Psalm 32, is for you. Verse 2 ends with, in whose spirit is no deceit. So we must not lie to ourselves. We must not lie to God either about the state of our heart and our minds. If we do, then we fool ourselves because we cannot fool God who knows the heart. We see this in 1 John 1, 8 to 9 as well. I'm sure many of you know the use of a lie detector test. You may have seen it in some movies or series. Uh, when someone is tested, sometimes they're sweating, sometimes they're fidgety, they're being tested. And sometimes the results come back with deception indicated or deceit is indicated. And sometimes the individual is shocked that the deceit or deception is indicated by the test. But deep within the corners of their mind and heart, there is a truth they may not want to admit yet. So we should search our hearts so that we are not caught by surprise. One way of knowing is if we confess that we sin, but there is no revulsion or disgust at the sins. Our sins should be repulsive to us. So if you don't find anger or lust or gossip or the lukewarm love of Christ or dishonesty or selfishness repulsive, then there's deception indicated if those are things that you struggle with and your confession is not genuine. So we'll circle back to this point. So let's keep reading. So Psalm 3 to 5, uh, verse 3 to 5 of Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Verse three to five tells us how to be happy, how to be blessed, how to be joyful, or how to attain that state of being. That's what verse three to five tells us. We first see the negative. We see, don't try to conceal your sin. Don't do it. That's what we see in verses three to four. Then we see the positive, acknowledge your sin, confess it to God. We see that in verse five. So David tells us what happens when we conceal our sin? Sometimes we may know what we just did, the thoughts we had, or what we just said to our spouse or partner. We feel guilty and we bottle it in. Verse 3 to 4 seems to say, it will be to your detriment if you do keep it in. We have lived this way, keeping the guilt and shame in and our, bod and our bones brittle and our strength is strained from carrying it. David was the same. He tried to cover his sin. He tried to put actions to make himself feel better. He didn't acknowledge it to God. David became ill. He was hiding his sin from God. Don't conceal your sin. That's some great wisdom. Don't conceal the sin. Verse five points us to the positive and points us to confession as what we need to be blessed. David names it, stops covering it, and acknowledges it to God. He names it, stops covering it, and acknowledges it to God. He tells the truth when he confesses. 
So there are three phases to confession in this passage. And there are three words for sin in the Hebrew vocabulary. And can you believe it? They are all in this verse. That's the extent to which David speaks about confession. There are three phases to confession and three words for sin in the Hebrew vocabulary. And they're all in this verse. Then I acknowledged my sin. So that's the Hebrew word for sin. Chata'a means failure. It actually speaks to failing to live up to the purpose we were created for. This is making moral decisions about what is good for me, elevating my needs above others, and living inwardly. This is making it clearer why we should not build a moral line for ourselves, because more often than not, it will be at the expense of the needs of others. It will be against the purpose in which we were created for, which is to be in relationship with God and make much of him where he has placed us. So we should name and acknowledge this. That's what David is saying. When we put others above ourselves, when we fail to live up to the purpose we were created for, when we make the wrong moral decision, and it's hard. Some of us will struggle with acknowledging this, but we need to in order to move closer to God. That's the first word for sin that we see, the first word in the, vocabulary, in the Hebrew vocabulary, chata'a. And he continues, and did not conceal my iniquity. So iniquity here, the Hebrew word for iniquity is avon. Avon here refers to choosing the wrong path. It refers to going astray. And this can both be intentional and unintentional. So we see in the book of Leviticus, we see sacrifices for both intentional and unintentional sin. I think it's easy for us to, to understand the intentional. So what, what is the unintentional here? What is, what is that unintentional? That's anger. So we may not think we have anger or we have a problem with anger, but those closest to us might share different sentiment. Greed or selfishness or dishonesty. We may think we don't struggle with these, that we are generous at heart, that we put others first, that we don't cheat, lie, or steal. But people around you or around us may share a different opinion about the unintentional sin in our lives. Sometimes those closest to us um, choose not to tell us because of how we may respond the conflict that may arise, the thought of not getting that supper invite or being invited to that weekend away. This again speaks to chata'a. So looking at your decision on morality, not thinking of the needs of others, not gently pointing them to Christ when we see that unintentional sin in their lives. So we should be living in community. We should be doing life together, admonishing, teaching, and leading each other to Christ. That's what Colossians 1 verse 28 says. Admonish and teach one another in all wisdom so we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So we should remember the language of confession with each other and God. That's the second word in the Hebrew language of sin, avon. And the last one, 
I will confess my transgressions, Pasa. So Pasa speaks more to knowing that something is wrong and choosing to do it anyway. So knowing that the cashier forgot to scan an item and not reminding the cashier that they had not scanned that item, silently watching them continue at your own benefit. It speaks to knowing physical abuse and still acting in that way towards your children and your spouse. Knowing that if brothers and sisters in Christ were to see you, they would see that. Lying about your whereabouts, knowing it's wrong yet continuing to do so. Or watching inappropriate content, knowing it's wrong yet doing so. So David uses the whole vocabulary for sin in one passage. Because we're all included in the psalm. Some of us will say, I don't struggle, I don't struggle with Passa. I don't do wrong things intentionally. But maybe you're putting yourselves above others. Maybe Khata is what you struggle with. Or some will say, I put others first. But what about the unintentional sin in your life? So we all sin and fall short of the glory of God and need to name it, stop covering it, and acknowledge it to God. That's why David uses the whole vocabulary of sin, the whole Hebrew vocabulary in one passage to show us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, that we all need to name it, stop covering it, and acknowledge it to God. So if we continue reading, we see hope in the next words. It's God's response to honest and complete confession. David says he forgave. God is being faithful to his character. He forgives. We're at 5,000 feet now. We're going to pull the cord of the parachute as we ease into landing. We better understand the human condition. We understand confession a little bit more and that we're all included in that confession. We, we understand what we should do, that we shouldn't cover our sin, we should name it and acknowledge it to God. And we also have a better handle on the character of God that helps shape confession for us. So let's look at verses six to seven. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. David is looking back to God. He did the same in, in Psalm 3 and Psalm 22. This is where his hope is. It's in God who protects us from trouble. He is our hiding place. God is our hiding place. He delivers us. Can you imagine laying all, laying all of our sin down, laying it down in front of God and he forgives us. He knows the depths of our heart and he knows our sin, but his hands are open wide and he forgives us. The confidence of David is in the character of God and not in himself. So get verse eight to 11. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule 
without understanding that must be controlled with bit and brittle or else I will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David is saying there are two roads of confession. He's saying there can be a form of confession that would lead you to the woes of the wicked. Remember deceit. If we don't truly confess, we may be leading to the woes of the wicked. If we don't see or acknowledge those sins where deception would be indicated, we would be leading to the woes of the wicked. The other way of confession he mentions here leads to joy and great confidence. There's a parable about the donkey, the mule, or the horse in, in verses 9 that you would see. I want us to think of the barn, a barn. So think of God's people as animals on the farm. So that's what this passage is speaking about. This parable. God cares for all the animals and shows them where to go. So God cares for all the animals and shows them where to go. That's what we see in this verse. And he provides a shelter for protection also for all his animals. However, the mule gives God a hard time. So the mule is stubborn and cares only for itself. The mule decides in its own moral system. So the mule decides its own moral system. The mule commits both intentional and unintentional sin. And commits sin knowing it's wrong to please itself. So God uses bit and brittle because without it, the mule won't come closer. So bit and brittle is painful. It is in the mouth of the mule. In a sense, it, it grinds the teeth and it hurts the mule to the point where the mule then comes near or listens and obeys, but it is with great reluctance. So the bit and brittle is painful, making the donkey come near. So think of this. A guilty conscience and all the pain, both physical or mental, that comes with it is a merciful gift to the unrepentant. A guilty conscience and all the pain, physical or mental, that comes with it is a merciful gift to the unrepentant. So we're at 2,500 feet now. We have had some great wisdom and great hope, and all that hope rests in God. But sometimes confession for us does not bring about real change. Because we're in pursuit of the wrong things. Our confession is shallow and we're deceitful. If we are not using Psalm 32 and its wisdom to check our heart, then we are the mule. If our confession doesn't get to the root of our sin, then we are the mule. Why do we think that being dishonest and stealing leads to good life? Infidelity leads to happiness or that anger shows strength. If we don't let God's word, which we saw in Psalm 2, our prelude to the Psalms, if we don't let what Psalm 2 speaks about, if we don't let Psalm 2 help us to strive to be faithful to his word, then his grace won't quench the depth of our sin and bring about the type of joy that David speaks about here. We need to look at what we're confessing and get to the heart of that sin 
that is in our lives so that we can completely and truly give it all to God. So as we approach the ground with our parachute open, we have a greater picture of God and ourselves. David shows an astounding confidence in confession. Verse five says, he said, you forgave. And, that, and, and that's in verse two, he says, blessed or joyful is the one who God doesn't count their transgressions against them. Where does this confidence come from? So when we look at the whole Old Testament, it points to the great act of Jesus dealing with sin and death on the cross. We see this also in Psalm 2. All who take refuge in the Messiah will be blessed. We take refuge in his death on the cross for us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus deals with sin for us. His death on the cross is a substitute on our behalf for what we deserve. The basis of Christian confession is not related to how sorry we feel or the guilt we carry. The basis of Christian confession is purely because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We couldn't do it ourselves. So what then you ask? What should we do with this? What does it mean for us? David is leading us here to come to God. It doesn't matter what we need to confess. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the great comfort is that he forgives you because of what Jesus has already done in dealing with sin on the cross. This great promise is true for you. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he wants to know you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you and wants this promise and all the other promises he makes to be true for you too. So if you feel the spirit tugging at your heartstrings and want to know more about Jesus, send me a message uh, now on Zoom or send an email to Community Fellowship City and there'll be someone who's ready to tell you more about Jesus. So along with David leading us to confess, we need to know our purpose. Our purpose is to make much of God where he has placed us. That's the main overarching purpose. So make much of God where he has placed us. It means we will be in community and we'll be pointing others to Christ as we walk together. We need to bring our sin before God and bring it to others in the community to pray with us and to walk with us. We need to also consume God's word. We need to read the Bible. Someone says we should. Someone says we should prayfully read and obey God's teaching. Then we will be blessed. We will understand and know his character. We will know his promises and hear his instruction and counsel. Like the picture of the animals in the barn. Meditate on his word like Jesus did. Use the Psalms as your language of prayer and expression yourself daily. Ask others in the community to journey with you. Read and discuss what you're reading. Admonish and teach one another in all wisdom to present each other perfect in God. That's what Colossians 1.28 says. So why do we need to confess quickly? Can't God just forgive us? Every time we sin, 
we are putting a barrier between ourselves and God. If we don't confess it, it means we're choosing to continually insult God. He will then leave us to our sin. Confession and forgiveness brings about union between God and us and ourselves and others. The only way for God's name to be glorified is for him to not overlook sin and leave us to move further from himself. But it is to forgive sin and change sinners. That's what confession should do. It should give us that great joy that we see that David is showing here. We know his situation. We know his story, his background, but we see the great joy that he has and it's joy that is found in Jesus. So David calls us to pray as well. Verse six, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. We need to pray. Prayer then enables us to see more of God, his character and how he loves us. And out of this discovery, we pray more and experience more of God. This becomes a spiral which leads us closer to God. We see more and more of his provision, a sense of deep joy in his forgiveness and protection. So we ought to pray while we can still find the barn open, while we can still find God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you invite us to confess and bring all our sin, our transgression, our iniquity to you and that you forgive us. That is just you staying true to your character, that you forgive us. It doesn't matter what we have done, that you forgive us. Only because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. There's nothing that we've done ourselves. We cannot fix our relationship with you. But the death of Christ on the cross gives us a relationship with you and forgiveness of sins. Thank you that we, we know that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God and that we all need to repent. We may struggle with different sins. We pray that you would continuously bring us back to confession, that you would help us to use Psalm 32 as a measuring stick for our confession so that we can see and make sure that we are truly confessing that there's no deception indicated. We pray that you would help us to lean on community, to read our Bibles together, to pray with one another, to confess and hold one another accountable to you as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom to present ourselves perfect before you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.